Hi guys, I'm Doug Fletcher. Welcome to What's the Hazard. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, this is a podcast for safety professionals, for small business people, for small contractors, anybody that has an interest in workplace safety and health. Um, we're here to share information, provide affirmation, and occasionally, unfortunately, offer consolation. So uh, I think uh, we've been in existence now for about two months. We've done about 12 episodes of this podcast. Started in late 2019, so we're really excited about 2020. Um, we'll continue to bring on safety professionals for interviews, just like today. Uh, I think we're going to do a little bit more educational, some educational segments in 2020, where we talk specifically about regulations. I've had some requests for discussion of regulations and and things of that nature, maybe OSHA protocols and those kind of things. So um, I think the best is yet to come in 2020. So I hope you I hope you continue to listen and join us. Uh, we'll go from there. Uh, my guest today is Scott Love. Uh, we've known each other, God, Scott, 20 years probably. I started with OSHA in the mid-90s, and uh, we probably were acquainted shortly thereafter. That's true. In one way or another, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure. That's true. Uh, are you, you are the safety director or safety manager. What would your title be? Uh, safety director. Safety director for Miller Electric, which is... Uh, Headquartered here in Omaha, but you guys are practically an international company, are you not? Or I mean, you guys working overseas or just a national? How would you describe yourselves? Well, international way, there are some customers that uh, good customers are will travel with in terms of engineering. Okay, but gotcha. we do not work um, basically outside of a, about a hundred mile radius. Really, of right around here. Okay, um, but you've got a. You were just saying about thirteen hundred guys. We have thirteen hundred and fifty employees. I think. Oh at my this gosh! Time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So well over eleven hundred. That's uh, a big operation. Uh, field personnel. Yeah, no doubt on the job sites and stuff. Interesting. It's, it's been a ride. Well, I am. I'm interested in hearing how you your safety journey, how you got into this, and uh, a lot about Miller. I know. Yeah, uh, from my perspective, having been a former OSHA guy, Miller has a great reputation in the OSHA office. Uh, you have a great reputation in the safety community around here, and, and you're heavily involved in the community around here, so I want to get into that. But normally I start off the program with just some basic observations of the previous week or whatever, things I've seen or heard or whatever. Uh, this week in particular has been a remarkably difficult week, man. I know we all, as safety people, we all have bad weeks from time to time. Uh, the good certainly outweighs the bad, but this week has been really bad, man, and I'm and uh, I wanted to introduce you first before I talked about this stuff, so just so you could, you know, comment or add your two cents as, as I go through it. But early in the week, as you, you heard, and Pat, I know you heard, we had a really horrific accident here in Omaha. Uh, it was a, probably two or three days ago where an employee of a pallet company in Omaha was, um, she actually climbed under the feeder table to a saw. So, you know, this, I, I, I did not respond to the scene. They're not a client of mine. But as it was described to me, uh, the table is a moving, uh, a power-driven table that would bring the material to the saw. And the, the uh, scrap that would come off the saw after the cut would just drop off onto the floor. And apparently it had caused a bit of a problem, kind of a jam up or something. So this employee climbed under the table while it was running and uh, it was a chain and sprocket drive mechanism, and she got her ponytail caught in this chain and sprocket. And, of course, it just basically scalped her, you know, I mean, as they always do. I mean, the machine always wins in these situations. She was badly injured and then life-flighted to the U- Nebraska Medical Center. And I believe she's has survived, but, you know, it sounded horrific. Uh, the next day, a company that I work with closely – at a fatality, so that must have been Wednesday. I was actually sampling all day, and about the end of a 12-hour day, I got a phone call from a company representative saying they'd had a fatality, and that was um, an individual at one of their service stations, one of their uh, fuel stations, was changing a tire, airing up a tire, a big commercial, you know, an ag tire, so it's a big, heavy tire, and overpressurized the tire. The tire exploded. The rim came apart from the, t- you know, from the rubber, Struck him in the head and killed him. Uh, again, another horrific incident. Uh, I was down there all day yesterday. The OSHA inspector was on site. And interestingly, um, the OSHA inspector, who I'm acquainted with, one of the newer inspectors, he was also the guy that drew the inspection at that pallet company. So literally in two days, this poor bastard had two horrific accidents to investigate. And, 
you know, I know we we all appreciate the fact that, you know, the employee who was hurt or killed and their family and coworkers, uh, even the communities where these people live are all impacted by these accidents. But I was looking at this compliance officer thing, and I don't think people appreciate how traumatic that can be for the compliance officer as well, right? I mean, in both of these situations, there was still visible evidence of the fatality, if you know what I mean, without getting too graphic on the scenes. As we're going through this location, you can tell what happened and that it was bad. And he had said the same thing about that pallet incident. And I'm just thinking, I mean, I almost wanted to apologize to the guy, you know, um, for for the fact that nobody probably appreciates what what they go through. Yes, people, OSHA, personnel. They're people, people to, right? Yeah. To some degree, they're nearly human. Yeah. You know, and... Um, so I didn't really want to start the year off on kind of this negative note, but but the fact of the matter is, um, this is what we do. And, you know, most days are good and most days are upbeat and, you know, we, we get some joy and pleasure. But there are days like this, man, or weeks like this when bad things happen. And I think it just kind of reinforces for us that, you know, our work is never done. You know, there is no end point in safety. It is just a continuous journey. And when you let up or when you let your guard down or you get complacent, bad things can happen, you know? I mean, And, and the investigation's still ongoing. Ongoing, yeah. Uh, you're going to find out more things. You're going to yeah. correct some things that you thought mm-hmm. before. Um, and these companies are going to learn a valuable lesson. I hope in, so. In these sort of things, they usually do. Yeah, uh, hopefully. At least for a while anyway. And yeah. we're not, Miller's not without learning their own lessons. Absolutely. In the 20 years I've been there. Yeah, that's a great um, point. There are lessons to be learned. And I think we, we all hope and pray that, you know, the companies do, you know, they, they learn from these issues and as, as terrible as they are, uh, and as traumatic as they can be. Um, and I've seen, I've seen fatality shut companies down, you know, small business that, that would have a fatality and that was it. They were done, man. So hopefully they can recover and they can figure it out. But, uh, Again, I, I didn't want to start 2020 off on this uh, kind of a, a down note, but the reality is, I think, that we as safety professionals, and if you're responsible for safety, you need to appreciate that you got to, we got to be vigilant. You know, don't let up. So I guess that's the message, hopefully. But anyway, oh, sorry, man. <laughs> um, happy New Year. Oh, my God. Yeah, Happy New Year, everybody. And uh so what I would love to do is just have you talk a little bit about you know, your safety journey sure. and, and, you know, like you said, 20 years with Miller. And, and I, I'm going to share one thing about you personally. We worked together. As I said, you do a lot for the community, for local safety organizations and groups. In addition to your 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week job at Miller, <laughs> uh, you know, you participate in the NECA group and other safety groups around here. And probably 10 years ago, you probably you might recall this, you as a representative of NECA, and I think Ruben, uh, maybe Alan, contacted OSHA or me at the time uh, when I was the compliance assistance person and said, hey, look, man, we've got some issues with the way that we interpret some of the regulations and how OSHA is enforcing some of the regulations. Yep. You remember that? I do. And, and that was one of the best cooperative experiences that I actually was part of as an OSHA person. When we got together as a group, and tried to hash those things out. I thought that was really, it's really how it should work, frankly. I think we came to, we realized that as OSHA, we were misinterpreting some stuff and we had to change the way that we enforce some things. And man, that was incredibly valuable. And I know that was important to the contractors because they were working under the impression that they had doing it correctly and they were being penalized for it. That so was interesting. The background of that is the, the NECA Safety Committee, uh, which was, Ruben Barra and myself kind of got that going mm-hmm. and worked with, uh, oh, at the time, with Ruth Shermock and then Alan Hale. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Ruth, with, Ruth, with, yeah. was with uh, NECA. And uh, we started bringing contractors in. Whether they had a safety guy or not, bring a representative in and let's talk about, uh, let's talk about safety. Let's right. just open the table up and, and right. converse about yeah. anything and everything. And that's when we started talking about, hey, we had an ocean inspection, and they said our temp wiring couldn't be run this way or Mm -hmm. that way. That was kind of a snippet as to bringing a list of things together and saying, listen, 
we're not OSHA compliance officers, and we wonder if it can, and we know it could change from one compliance officer mm-hmm. to the next, basically on what they, yeah, what they were thinking. So we decided let's reach out. And luckily you were there. You were doing outreach stuff, and that was when OSHA was doing a lot more of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So I think it opened the opportunity to get right. down. And, I, I just kind of served as a conduit between you and the enforcement folks. Yeah. But I thought that worked out really well. I it mean, was great. We, we got some definite answers out. We still have mm-hmm. those. If that mm-hmm. ever came into play and we had to talk to a compliance officer, I'm right. going to dig it out. Absolutely. Say, yeah. 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 It's probably, it might even be worth revisiting at some point. I mean, there's been sure. some turnover in the office and, you know, uh, Thurlby is the area director now and he was a compliance officer at the time mm-hmm. and Darwin was there at the time and they're yeah. running the office now. So. You know, I, I just thought that was really impressive because that's not typically how interactions with OSHA work, uh, but they certainly should be cooperative. And I think, you know, obviously Nika was interested in doing the right thing. OSHA is and should be interested in doing the right thing. And uh, I just I just wanted to comment on how impressed I was by that, man. Yeah, we were too. You guys initiated yeah, that. Yeah, we weren't sure how that was going to go. Mm-hmm. That's uh, risky. We were too. Yeah. It's always risky to open yourself <laughs> up to that. True, so. true. Well, let's... Um, Gosh, there's a lot to talk about. I want to talk about some NFPA 70E stuff at some point because, man, I get questions about that all sure. the time, and you are the expert in that or an expert around here. Um, I'd also like to open up some conversation about the OSHA Top 10 and how those affect construction specifically. Um, OSHA publishes their Top 10 most frequently cited violations every year, and it goes into every magazine and you know safety related article everybody's publishing the top 10 and so we're all looking at it and you know what value is that for us what value should it be for us what what came to my mind is doesn't it look like it hasn't changed it, in it 10 looks years? like it never changes man. And, <laughs> right. it, and and i don't think it does they might they might reorder periodically certainly the top four but never like, changed yeah. Man. yeah and so just and so let's talk about that a little bit and then i'd love to hear about what you're doing at miller um, I think people are always interested in how a, a successful company, a company like Miller with a good reputation, what are you doing culturally, mm-hmm. you know, to drive attitudes and cultures in your co- company? So, <coughs> excuse me, we can start wherever you want. Um, you want to start on the top 10 or do you want to go right into the NFPA 70E? Hey, top 10's right on the top of my list. Okay, <laughs> let's do that, man. Um, now, OSHA compiles a, a co- kind of a composite top 10. So, the list that they've published in that this is a National Safety Council magazine uh, includes uh, general industry, the 1910 standards, and construction, the 1926 standards. But number one every year, for good reason, is fall protection. Um, more people die in construction in fall protection related accidents, uh, injuries, fall protection, citations, fall protection. There is some reason for the uh, obviously the focus on OSHA's part. Uh, we have the the focus four in construction, which includes falls, electrocutions, caught in and struck by incidents. So OSHA is looking at fall protection. I mean, there's a heavy focus on it for good reason, and so I think in large part that's why it repeats as the most frequently cited thing year after year after year. Here in Nebraska, OSHA runs that uh, program. The inspection program is falls, overhead power lines, and scaffolds. And that's the program that they basically use to uh, initiate inspections in construction. They drive by a site, and they see somebody working at elevation. Uh, They have the authority to initiate an inspection. They see scaffolds on the site. (coughs) Pardon me. Same thing. It's cold and flu season. I don't know if you guys are... Uh, same thing, right? You got a cough drop. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. That's a great idea. I should actually have a cough drop. So, you know, scaffolds is the same thing. If they see a scaffold on a project, they can stop and initiate. And then the overhead power line issues, you know, uh, electrocution hazards, whether that be material handling equipment or ladders or whatever. So, you know, there are reasons why these things repeat uh, mm-hmm. from an OSHA perspective, mm-hmm. programmatically and statistically. What, what are you seeing? What do you guys do about, I mean, your electricians primarily, right. engineers, how does that impact you as a subcontractor? Um, it does. Uh, I, I can honestly tell you I'm, I'm not particularly pulling out the OSHA 10, top 10 list and really going over, oh, my gosh, what do we got to concentrate on today because of that? 
I'm past that in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Past, yeah, I would agree. Um, I do share that, like in a in a, in our toolbox talk or or in our right. in our uh, newsletter. Right. Um, but what we we do have the uh, are fortunate to work with some great general contractors out there who have taken safety above and beyond. Oh, that makes uh, a huge what, what, difference. It does. It makes a great difference. Yeah. They set a tone from the beginning, and then uh, and I've been here twenty years. Uh, in 2004, uh, to, I'm sorry, 2003, we had a, a tragic injury. Yeah. A fall from seven foot uh, eight inches, I believe. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, a, and a head injury. Mm-hmm. And you, you talk about uh, that person lived. He's a friend of mine, you know, a great electrician. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's alive today and doing good but because of uh, complications from that wouldn't could not continue uh, oh, in know. his in his field of work mm-hmm. um, completely taken care of as far as like work comp and all that kind of stuff but it turned us around at Miller Electric we needed yeah. we needed so we didn't need anything like that but we got it but at least you we, we went back said listen we are not without uh, right Something like this happening, right? No one is not without kind of open people's yeah. eyes to that. Yes, good. We went back. We made some some big changes. We w- we started at the beginning. You know, we brought people in um, that could could talk about how we might be able to change even behaviors at that time because this was a behavior mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. as much as it was a conditional a issue. conditional issue. I right. mean, we had things in place. We went back and looked at that. And, yeah. uh, Did he fall off a ladder or off a platform no, or something? No, he fell off of a. Uh, uh, yeah, it was level. it was a, a, a racking system oh. for storage. Okay, yeah. And he was installing lights above. He'd put his fall protection up. Uh, we were using a, a three quarter inch conduit mm-hmm. as fall protection for two hundred pounds on one end, mm-hmm. and never put it up on the other for some reason. Yeah. And that's where it fell. No one was there. Uh, he doesn't remember the incident. Yeah. It was. It was bad. It was bad. Huh? Yeah. It's yeah. too bad, man. So, but uh, I think he's doing good today. Good. His family's doing good, good and all that kind of stuff. But that set a trend for us to go back, and it set a trend for management to say, listen, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, okay, we gotta, we're human. We don't want something like this happening again. And that really, really allowed us to, to you know, not put a price on safety mm-hmm. per se. You know, but mm, the, yeah. the training efforts and yeah, all that the, kind of the stuff. typical. Here's the line item for safety. Here's how much money you get for safety. Right, man, that just does not work well. Right. So right at the top of the list, fall protection, mm-hmm. and we didn't cover it. Since then, uh, we have, you know, uh, pounded it in our guys' heads that don't do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. If you got a fall issue. And I don't care if it's two feet in the air, mm-hmm. right? Right. Contact us. We, you know, we have safety personnel that work for Miller Electric, and all of them are are experienced enough to, if they can't help you figure it out on the spot, they will go find people that will figure it out. We'll get you the right PPE. We'll get you the the steps involved in it. We'll put it on paper. Um, we'll contact uh, other subcontractors that might be involved. We'll let's we'll have a meeting, but stop. We yeah. stop and have a plan, mm-hmm. and that's the that, big. That that is sage advice, you know. And if everybody did that, uh, when they ran into something that they were uncomfortable with or unsure of, and just stop and discuss it with someone else, and we would eliminate so many of these issues. Mm-hmm. That's and you can teach old dog new tricks, <laughs> <laughs> including uh, myself. Uh, good for yeah. you. Well, I, and and me as well, man. I I would. I'm a, I'm an old dog, definitely, and uh, I'm hoping to. Continue to learn. You said a couple things, though, that I want to comment on. Sure. Um, you said initially that you're past the top 10, and and obviously a safety program that has evolved to the point that Miller's has has to be beyond the top 10. But I think you will hear people, you know, talk to people that are new to this world, maybe these small subcontractors that may, they don't even have a safety person, right? These mm-hmm. smaller subcontractors, you probably deal with them from time to time. You know, this is a good place to start if you don't have any idea where to start. It's a great place to start. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it's not. No, not for, you know, I completely agree with you are beyond focusing on these because you've already dealt with these things. 
Well, we're not beyond focusing on them. I just don't oh, necessarily good, good use the top 10 yes. as a uh, guidance to good point. Yeah, where you're I, right. what I'm going to do tomorrow for our safety program. Right. But beyond even just the, the common sense part of it, because there's a reason OSHA has these listed. And no are, doubt. And, but when they show up on a job site, they're going, they might walk past a small hazard because they can definitely see that fall right. issue right there, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Scaffolding's just going to draw them near. They're going to mm-hmm. look at inspection tags and all That's that right. kind of stuff. And you learn that. As, so why get entangled in an OSHA mess when those are easily corrected? Right. You know, but certainly yes. um, and get th- to those a are point the where, that are- you're, where you're starting to feel about the people that are up there and their safety mm-hmm. And if you can make them comfortable and safe and um, on the on on the ball when it right. comes to thinking safety, your job's going to get a lot easier. A lot easier, yeah, exactly. And that leads me to the second thing that you said. You know, even if the fall, the hazard, or the exposure is two feet, I mean, I think people get really hung up on the regulation. The regulation says if I'm above six feet, blah blah blah, whatever. Um, it's the hazard that we need to focus on, mm-hmm. not the regulation. The regulation gives us some guidance, but I mean, the reality is our decisions and our, our, our considerations should be hazard driven. So if, you know, if a two foot fall is dangerous, then we need to do something about it. A two foot fall is probably one where you're stumbling and bumbling and falling into something else. Right. Yeah. Some with dangerous. no control. Yeah. The, the uncapped rebar or <laughs> the utilities or a piece of equipment or something. Yeah. Moving equipment. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. But yeah. I think that is a great point. Uh, I see a lot of people that get really hung up on the regulation. Correct. And, you know, it's a, we need to get beyond a, that. It's a big book. It is a big book. Yeah, I'm it's, still it's studying and learning stuff. Yeah, it's intimidating. Focus on what you do. Um, you know, look at the hazards that are in place and what you do, what the subcontractor next to you mm-hmm. is doing. Gosh, that's uh, important too, yeah, isn't it? What the uh, what your buddy, uh, is he safe? You know, because mm-hmm. you're working next to him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Let me ask you something. Um, that's interesting. So uh, you guys are a, a big... Uh, electrical subcontractor, you work on some high profile, big projects, as you said, with, with some really high quality, high performing GCs. What, what, what's the approach that you guys take when, a, when, a, when another subcontractor is the problem? Mm-hmm. I yep. mean, they can, they could be a bigger problem to your guys than what your guys are doing oftentimes. Yep. What, what do you guys do? About, I mean, is there a procedure that you yeah, we've kind of coached your guys on. What do you do with we've that? We've moved away from fist fights out in the field. <laughs> okay, right. <clears throat> Although I'm sure they still. <laughs> yeah, there's probably that's a, a consideration, few. right? Um, no, there's. A, if you're working with a good general contractor, um, you can bring it up to them. You okay. know, I mean, they are somewhat responsible still. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, for everyone and their safety on their particular job by you know uh, OSHA rules and contracts and everything else, they don't want to see someone get hurt no and doubt, they yeah. should, but you should also expect uh, them to take action and be accountable for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Hold them accountable to right. some degree. Right. Right. But okay. I don't expect us to be working next to that uh, possible hazard uh, creating subcontractor right. until it's corrected. Mm-hmm. So stop work, you know, mm-hmm. the advantage of working on these great jobs that we've done over my tenure here mm-hmm. um, is that there's usually some size and you can usually pull some guys off and move them to a different area. Yeah, that and, makes sense. Yeah, and then you can say, listen, that's not going to get done. Until you get this fixed. Until we get this fixed. Oh, that's awesome. Man. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, O'Shea used to live under this illusion that you would just uh, leave, you know, and that, that's not always practical. It may be the appropriate response to a, a situation on a multi-employer site where there's an issue, but it's not always practical. But the the ability to communicate with the GC and uh, even perhaps move your guys to a different location or work on a different element of the project or something uh, that that makes great sense. Yeah, you know, just get them away from that until we get it fixed. Yeah, and we've we've never left a job because OSHA was there. But I do <laughs> I do tell people we don't necessarily have to demonstrate what we're doing at the time. You can stop what you're doing. Basically, listen, it's a good time to go mm-hmm. and make sure your labeling's right mm-hmm. on the on the uh, temp power that the right. temp power cords are correct. Pick things up. Uh, make sure your equipment's I, all in good shape. 
You I can, totally encourage yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we don't. I don't. You don't need to necessarily be doing uh, high risk or uh, interesting activities that are going to draw attention necessarily. I think it's a bad idea to leave a project. Mm-hmm. When I when I was a compliance officer, you know, I started in the mid '90s. It was common <laughs> to roll onto a site and everybody would be gone. I'd come out of the general's trailer after our ten minute opening conference, and four hundred guys are gone. You know, I mean. You know, the like, most incredible. Like turning on the light with a cockroach. It was. It's cockroaches <laughs> scrambling, you know, and that was the that was the approach people took to. And most people don't do that anymore. Yeah. There are still a few that, you know, that, and it's because they don't have a safety program, right? They're, yeah. They know they're not doing it. Yeah, I, I would like to, I would probably think that if you're not there and not doing it, you could argue that it, would, it didn't happen. But uh, in this day and age, we want to work with OSHA. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. uh, if you're doing it right, um, typically... What, what's happening is going to be very minor, and you can correct it, and they're going to be happier happier than when they came on the job site for doing yeah. it, right? Yeah. yeah, interesting. Well, I'm going to read through. So, interesting. interestingly, my mom's an English professor. Man, I would take a beating for, you know. <laughs> interestingly, is that an adverb? Oh, don't, don't ask oh, God. me. My okay. mom okay. wasn't an She English. doesn't listen. So, um, <laughs> probably doesn't listen. <laughs> anyway, the, so OSHA breaks the, the top ten individual uh, violations down into subparagraphs so that we have five in each of the, I'm just going to mention a few of these under fall protection. The number one most frequently cited, the most, uh, the highest number of violations was for fall protection in residential construction, which is no great surprise. Right. I mean, that's still the wild west, frankly, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we made a little bit of headway back in the early two thousands when they were allowed to use Slide guards, roof jacks, speed bumps, whatever you call them, you know. There was a time when they were permitted to do that under the relaxed guidelines, the interim guidelines. And then in 2010, they pulled those and said, well, look, residential construction has to comply with the same standards the commercial guys are complying with. And then everything went to pieces. Hell, you know? hell Remember that? Place. Yep. Oh, my gosh. That was horrible. And um, so it's no surprise to me that that's number one. I mean, all you got to do is drive through any subdivision where they're building something, and you see uh, fall protection violations. Right, and we just we just built a house. You personally? Uh, yeah. And, oh, did you? Yeah, I moved oh, in, in in August, and I you know I'm like, oh my goodness, it's horrible. I should just stay away. Exactly. Right, and uh, take a six month yeah, vacation. Yeah, but uh, I think. I don't know. Tell me if you agree with this or not. But when you're driving and you, and I, because we're in the construction industry, mm-hmm. we look. Mm-hmm. At you can't help things. it. Yeah. Um, I think those those uh, strip mall uh, locations, mm-hmm. yeah. the flat roof deals and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, we're seeing better mm-hmm. um, fall protection initiatives I would by agree those with type that. of contractors. I do. I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah. The uh, Oftentimes, um, they'll use uh, warning lines on the flat roofs and they will have them the stand they'll actually be taught you know i mean usually you'd see them they were sagging and they were kind of drooping over if they were up at all and they'd be right on the edge instead of six feet back or the mm-hmm. appropriate distance back uh particularly in omaha because as most people that you know live and work here in nebraska know all of the compliance officers live here in omaha they all commute you know in mm-hmm. omaha they're driving around on their personal life in omaha so Fall protection in Omaha has improved <laughs> dramatically. You know, you get out into western Nebraska, you go out to Scott's Bluff or something, and OSHA's just a rumor out there, man. I mean, yeah. but they have improved here, and and they should be commended for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were two houses built in my neighborhood um, this fall, and they framed the houses, and they roofed the houses, and I would walk my dog every morning and stare at these guys, and you know, my dog would bark at him, so I, that would kind of give me an, an opportunity to talk to him a little bit. And you know, frankly, um, you know, I, you know, you guys probably ought to use some fall protection. You know, I'm trying not to be a dick about it. You know, but uh, as a safety guy, you can almost not. You got to say something. It seems like you know, you can't just turn your head and walk away. So I would talk to him, and they'd kind of yell, "Hey, thanks," you know, whatever. And they didn't, but you know, I, and I don't know, man. I mean, I don't know where that. I used to stop a lot i'd see something that really disturbed me and i would stop and say something and i'd i just take a raft of crap for it you know they just look at me like who the heck are you you know right right and so i don't do that as often as i used to but there are times when you just you feel compelled you just gotta say something you know it's, it's just that bad and that's that's a real challenge for safety people like us you know 
What do you do? If you wanted to move to a different topic, you know, the HASCOM, uh-huh. um, hazard communication. Mm-hmm. Um, always in the top. It, it's always there, you <laughs> right. know, and, and uh, we did something, and this is also through that NECA group, where we went to an online um, SDS program, oh, nice. right, which falls within the guidelines mm-hmm. of, of being able to get that information Absolutely. Uh, uh, when you need it in a yeah. short period of time. But if you look at respirator protection and all that kind of stuff, um, and what we do, uh, it's so few and far between, Mm -hmm. it's not first on my list, except for to tell my guys common sense comes into play. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't learned it by now, learn it. Mm -hmm. If you're working in an area and a guy's spraying something and he's wearing a respirator, (laughs) it's probably time to say time out. Right. Should I be wearing one? That's a good time to stop and ask yeah. a question. But they also know um, that guy's going to be done with what he's doing in a day or mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. It's per, it's probably a good time to say, I could move to a different part of the building, you know? Yeah, that, that is an Continue excellent to observation. Work, right. Uh, we don't need to get so engulfed into fitting everybody for respirators mm-hmm. because we use them so seldom. Right. You know. Right. As electricians, that just doesn't come into your world very often. Yeah. But you as know, a painter, that might be number that's one on your list. a great comment, though, man. Uh, if he's wearing a respirator and I am next to him, you know, what, what's the potential exposure? What should I be doing? Maybe I should be moving. Maybe I should be calling Scott. Maybe I should be checking with my superintendent. But that should throw up a red flag, hopefully. Well, it's kind of surprised that we haven't seen silica. <laughs> On the list, you know. I know. But, uh, hey, I don't know how they enforce it, number one. And number two. It's um, difficult. That comes into play. Mm -hmm. So there's concrete work that's done on a job site. absolutely. All the time. Uh, Guys out there doing the mixing and all that kind of stuff. Again, common sense. And we've had where our guys have said, listen, that other uh, uh, subcontractor Mm -hmm. that's dumping fly ash. Right. It's blowing our way. Right. We know there's silica in there because they've been trained, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you need to stop, contain it, do it when the wind shifts, or we're done, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. We actually shut down our operations and went, you know. It was mostly a communication thing, mm-hmm. big big job site with a lot of stuff going on. And, Isn't you know, interesting? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that element of communication is huge. You know, and, um, and the authority to be able to do right. that timeout right. on a job site. Yeah, I, we still struggle oftentimes. Yeah. Some I see contractors, subcontractors that that have not reached that level of uh, problem solving skill just yet. Where they, you know, when they see something like that going on, they don't necessarily uh, uh, realize that there may be an exposure to their guys. You know, even though they're not the ones that are actually doing the activity. Uh, man, if they could get to that point, that would be really a, a giant step. Yeah. You if, know, if you can push training and that mm-hmm. knowledge down to everyone in your crew, right? someone's going to get it, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe right. not the first guy or the second guy is going to go, should we be yeah, maybe this breathing is, this stuff? Right. right? That's really good. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Um, yeah, let's keep moving through here. So um, number one is fall protection. Two, HASCOM. Three is scaffolding, always in the top. And again, this is something OSHA is looking for. A scaffold on a project is enough for an OSHA compliance officer to initiate an inspection. You know, if they are en route somewhere and happen to see that. So, and they cite the same things every time. And, and you know, I'm an industrial hygienist by training. I, I focus primarily on general industry safety. I do, you know, we did, everyone did construction safety and industry safety in the OSHA office because we just didn't have the luxury of having experts. Um, but the same things get cited in on scaffolding every time. Fall protection at 10 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, access. How are you getting on that scaffold? I'm climbing up the braces typically or whatever, you know, climbing up a tree and dropping onto the deck. Um, fully planked working surfaces. Number four is the base plates and mud sills, you know, stable mm-hmm. surface. Mm-hmm. And then the guardrails, number five, guardrails are incomplete or, you know, uh, incorrect, whatever the case might be. Those five are probably 
the majority of compliance officers, that's all they know about scaffolding, frankly, which is, you know, but they get cited over and over and over. Guys working on one pick, they didn't completely plank the working surface or something, you know. You guys probably don't use a lot of scaffolds, I would think. Do you work from lifts or things well, like that periodically? Or do you work scissor on lift falls into the scaffolding deal. Yeah. So wh- wh- how You're many working from those, mobile scaffolds and things. And those have been great. Yeah. Uh, anything you can do that isn't on a ladder, if you can do oh, it, totally. do it. Uh, Let's talk, explain <laughs> that to everybody. Ladders are a bugaboo on any construction job sites. Uh, electricians used to live on them, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you weren't getting dinged for not having the right size ladder and you're on the top two steps, you know, which is dangerous. Right. Um, just coming off of a ladder or walking ladders or leaning ladders. There's so many different hazards that, are, that come into play there. And even OSHA recognizes you can't do a fall arrest type uh, deal with most ladder work, right? right? It just doesn't work. So if you fall, you fall, right? Mm-hmm. Um, scissor lifts are basically a mobile uh, stationary scaffold that uh, can mobile stationary scaffold. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, but you know what? Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, it, uh, it it goes straight up in the air and it has guardrails around yep. it. As long as your feet are on the platform and you're working within the right. confines of that scissor lift. You're pretty darn safe. Yeah, that's great. You got to worry about fall, falling objects, of sure. course, and protecting yourself down below. Mm-hmm. But I think any more people are getting more conscious yeah. of, a, of a lift and that there's someone working above there. Yeah, when you do that. And the advantages. To, I know there are disadvantages to lifts, and there are times when we absolutely have to use a ladder. Yep. But I'm with you. Ladders last. You know that is the last choice mm-hmm. if you can use something in the alternative. Right. Because they are horrible. And they're in the top ten. Yeah. I don't know if, you yep. know, I think they're number uh, six. And and like like the last ten years, they've been there yeah, every year. Yeah. And you know what's most frequently cited about ladders? The three-foot extension. If you're using a ladder to access, gain access to an upper level, it has to extend, you know, three feet or more so that you have something to hold on to when you're mounting and dismounting the ladder, of course. And, and I, bet, I guarantee I could drive... From here home, and I'll drive by two or three locations where the ladder extends six inches above the, you know. Yeah. It, I don't know how this continues, but it is the most frequently cited ladder violation. It's unbelievable. And for general contractors that might be listening, um, for the ones that uh, put the stairs, the permanent stairs in. And oh, yeah. Get them filled for uh, access on the job as soon as they can. We love you. Mm-hmm. For all the other ones, please, please consider it. It uh, really makes uh, accessing one floor to the next much easier than trying to climb. Yeah, the that's ladder. a great observation yeah. because usually they'll hang that staircase, the pans or whatever. No, no guard, no stair rail system in place. They don't even fill the pans, and people are using that to access those upper levels. Yeah, there's the you can temporarily make those safe. Yeah, and, absolutely, and, and that's being done more and more. Good. That's really great. We used to cite that all the time. I know Darwin and I would feast off of that back in the old days because they made they built so many apartments around here, mm-hmm. yeah, at one time, and those were those were the only access points for these three and four story apartments, and you knew it was going to be incorrect. We cited all the, it was like uh, they would put um, decks on these apartment, you know, and the electrician would be out there wiring up the lighting, and they hadn't put the railings up yet or anything. It's just a uh, just a flat deck and Four stories and nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, that was pretty common back in the day, too. Yeah. So there's a lot of challenges. Well, um, let's skip the rest of this. I mean, I, I'm always interested in PPE a little bit. Yeah. And how you get people to comply with PPE requirements. Yeah. You know, how you get them. To, I mean, I, I have people ask me all the time, how do I make my people wear PPE? How do I get them to wear it? Now, that shocks me, but you want to comment on that at all, or do you... There was a um, insights into that. How many years ago was that? Uh, 15, 12, 15 years ago, um, we got together. Actually, uh, uh, I was, Ruben and I mm-hmm. were called to, to be a participant as a subcontractor with a roundtable full of general contractors. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Benita, at the time with OSHA, right. were looking at trying to develop some sort of a, maybe a possible uh, partnership. I remember that. 
That and was a big deal. Yeah, we were going to call it the Nebraska Five Star or something mm-hmm. like that. And depending, like if you came in with a a uh, safety plan for your mm-hmm. company, you got a star. If you had mm-hmm. a safety person designated to safety, you got a star. If you did this, this, and this. And it was kind of levels, right? Well, we got up to the point where we were um, discussing PPE, and it was should to be able to be a five star should you have it be a hundred percent ppe mm-hmm. and of all people that. um terry white with mm-hmm. Kiwit, Kiwit, i remember yeah, said there's no way in hell i'm going to get my people to agree that they're going to wear safety glasses 100 percent of the time, time. right well, it wasn't probably a year or two later, and Kiwit was one of the first ones to implement 100% right. PPE safety glasses included. Right. right. I remember that well, man. Right. And we fought battles. We fought where we were like in a, in a hospital working outside of a contractor that was wearing full PPE, and our guys were not working for them, but they were in the hallway not, and they were mad. And Right. Well, now we are, for the most part. All right. Do you? There's some exceptions. Our policy states that you need to be wearing safety glasses, but most job sites are 100%. Anyway, yeah, that's the GC's requirement. And we're rule followers. Right, right, right. Yeah. First and foremost, we're rule followers. That's yeah. what we tell all of our, our guys. Listen, right. we, you have to know what the rules are. Yes. And you have to obey them, mm-hmm. right? And then we instill the power for our foreman to determine uh, certain things about 100% hard hat or safety glasses, right? Right. They um, would make that assessment yeah, at, would, on that project? and Well, if there aren't already rules. If there don't exist, yeah. okay. And we do that together in a startup meeting okay. for every job that we I mean, do. there may be occasions where the GC would not require those things, but they'd be appropriate for your guys. So It would. You could certainly go above and beyond the GC's requirements. Yeah, and I, you can go on a, a on at least a couple different jobs that we have going right now that I've visited um, where we're the only ones wearing 100% mm-hmm. PPE. Mm-hmm. Contractors rule, right? And we're going to follow it, right? You know, interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's uh, that is an interesting battle sometimes. And I can remember when it was not the case that 100%. I mean, but most of the projects I go on to now, it's you know, hard hat, safety glasses, uh, high visibility, whether that be the clothing or a vest or something, mm-hmm. uh, work boots if not steel-toed boots. I mean. Mandatory the minute you walk onto the project, and just and that's we so much easier. We introduce gloves mm-hmm. as a PPE item that Miller Electric will provide. Okay, cut resistant gloves. Yeah, clear back in um, I don't know maybe like two thousand five, two thousand six, and uh, yeah, I will walk up to somebody that isn't wearing gloves, and I will say you are violating company policy. Right. So they're issued the gloves, and they are they carry them on their belt on one of those little glove caddies or something, or they keep supposed, them on them. Supposed to be they wearing them. Take on them their right hands. from the cab of their truck and have them on as they walk onto the project. Yeah, here's an interesting, funny story. We were doing some work um, at Cargill, and Cargill implemented 100 percent hard hat right. policy, and right. this was early on in in my career. And um, our foreman there said. Man, there's just no way I'm going to remember that hard hat every time, you know, or people are going to be able to wear it 100% of the time. We said, well, you got to do it. You got to do it, and you got to be the leader, and you got to expect everyone else to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And it went well. And then it was probably, I don't know, a few weeks later, I managed to get back out there again, you know. And I said, how's the hard hat thing going? He said, funny story. (laughs) (laughs) I walk into my house after a long day. And I sit down in the chair, and my wife says, are you going to wear that hard hat all night? <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> of course, man. I, I think that's true. Yeah. I, I find myself all the time. I walk into restaurants in all my gear, Yeah, and uh, and I don't even wear it every day. It's not an everyday thing for me, but yeah. I think you become so accustomed to it, and mm-hmm. it becomes such a it's, a, it's a habit, obviously, and we want it to be a habit. Yes. I mean, ideally, it becomes a habit that you just put it on. Yeah. You know, very little thought given to it. It just becomes routine, but that, that's a funny story. Yeah, but it's a constant battle. PPE is a constant battle. Yeah, that's battle. a tough one. Yep. Interesting. 
Well, I'm talking with Scott Love of Miller Electric, um, safety director for Miller. One of the things that I'd love to talk a little bit about is NFPA 70E. Sure. As the OSHA folks refer to it, they would call it the electrical safety-related work practices, which, you know, the the, uh, the OSHA subpart deals with electrical safety-related work practices, but we're talking NFPA 70E. OSHA kind of tells you what has to be done, and the, and the 70E gives you guidance on how to do it. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about what Miller does with that? I mean, you guys do a lot with 70E, I know. Yeah. We were talking about that earlier. So NFPA 70E is part of NFPA 70, uh, National Electrical Code. Right. I mean, it's a spinoff of that. National Electrical Code uh, uh, protects the buildings from fire mm-hmm. and electrical fires. Uh, 70E protects the employees uh, that are working on or near live energized parts. Uh, first and foremost, it's been around since, what, 79? It's been around a long time. long time. Maybe not in the sense of arc flash protection, mm-hmm. but certainly lockout, tagout. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right. Um, and lockout, tagout can be a part of uh, uh, just the electrical or a part of a system that includes mechanical or exactly. other items, right? Mm-hmm. So... First and foremost, before you can think about electrical safety, the safest thing you can do with electricity is to de-energize it and figure out a way that it doesn't become energized mm-hmm. while you're working on it. Right. Lockout, tagout is a great avenue mm-hmm. for ensuring that. Exactly. Right? Yep. No doubt. There are some items. Sometimes you get into a situation where you, the, there's not a way to be able to lock it out, so you start thinking of other ways. Can we safely remove? Uh, the circuit, uh, even if we have to put on PPE to do it, mm-hmm. and then work on it safe, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, again, uh, you you have to be you have to communicate. You communicate with tags and and locks, and and everyone has to be assured that while they're working on that uh, circuit down the wherever it is in the building, that no one can uh, turn it on. Mm-hmm. So individual locks, individual keys you know, belong to that person. They put it on a lockbox. Whoever put the lock on it has the key. They put it in the lockbox. They can't get to the key unless every, every single person has their key off of it, right? right? That's one example mm-hmm. of how you can do it. Yeah. So first and foremost, lockout, tagout, work on it, electrically safe. Right. When we started looking at um, NFPA 70 back in 2004, when it first was getting on board with mm-hmm. the arc flash and everything. Right. We brought some of our key uh, foremen in uh, from service to uh, one, of, one of them worked out for at off at Air Force Base for a long, long time in medium voltage gear and, and, and that sort of stuff. Foremen from the field are uh, manpower people and executive. And we sat down and we said, how are we going to tackle this? It's, it's going to be a big deal. It's, it's going to be big. And at that time, I, I will uh, tell you that every electrical company in town was working on things energized mm-hmm. all the time. Absolutely. Expected to work on things energized. So um, what are we going to do? How can we do it? And it, it was clear back then we recognized the fact that if we start looking internally on some of the things that we're working on energized parts uh, and we don't really have someone telling us we have to, can we not work on those energized? Mm-hmm. Boy, that was a big list. Mm-hmm. I'll bet it was. People, electricians just got accustomed Absolutely. to working on things energized. And they knew how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, then we started looking at what our customers thinking we should be doing energized and where we really don't have to. Right. Are there other means? And can we talk to the customer about mm-hmm. it? It was probably 2005, I believe, we did our first um, NFPA 70E class. Okay. For your guys internally? For our customers. Oh, really? Okay. We couldn't get past the fact that in the day and age where the customer is God mm-hmm. because of the purse strings and the next job and the next job, we would not be able to intelligently tell them we can't work on this de-energized just because of a, a code, not, or not a code, a standard. Right, a standard, exactly. Not a code, not law, right? 
There was not law. No. Still isn't. No, still isn't. Still is not a law. Yeah. Now, OSHA's pretty much said, we're going to use it. That's right. how we go in and determine yeah. whether you're being safe. Yeah. That's enough for me, right? Mm-hmm. So now we go and we say, we have to educate the customers. If they're educated, then we can talk to them about, are you going to break the law and have us work on that energized, right? Oh, that's brilliant, man. It went so well that when we formulated our updated our electrical safety policy within Miller Electric, the first page says you will absolutely not work on anything energized, mm-hmm. period. Then you will institute lockout tagout, and it goes into that. Of course, then you turn the next page is if you the have exceptions. to, right, right. then you must be basically qualified mm-hmm. and competent by Miller Electric mm-hmm. Uh, to be able to perform that work. Right. Because even if you're a journeyman wireman and working in the trade for 20 years, and you walk up to a piece of equipment, open it up, and thinking you can work on it, energized because you know everything about doing it, um, you're not qualified based on this on the steps you need to take right. with NFPA 70E. Right. And it's not based on your own personal impression of your skills. It's based on Miller's right. determination. In NFPA 70E, they state that you have you need to have a meeting. There has to be a meeting of information and it should include the employer, the employee, and the contractor, mm-hmm. contracting employee, mm-hmm. right? Or the owner mm-hmm. of the equipment. So when they're when they get through with this class, the 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 owners and their and their maintenance people and stuff like that, um, I got listed here. Some of the questions that that generally come up mm-hmm. in this are are answered, you know. Right. So, of course, I won't be able to find it here. But oh, you're all right, man. Yeah, no, I, I think that's. I, I am really intrigued by that concept because I deal with people regularly that. They claim they have to work on stuff energized because the customer would not like it if we uh, de-energize it. And, but the idea of training the customers has never even entered their minds. Yeah, they want to know. I love that, man. What's my responsibility and accountability, mm-hmm. right? So they want to uh, know that they're not going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Right? Cause right. You, it would be all lying. Would be we all be lying if they cared as much about our employees as sure. we do. Right. Yeah, we don't, yeah, we know they don't, but right. they're certainly con- concerned about their culpability and if there's an accident or. Right. And we, we don't no holes barred. We we're in there saying, listen, if something happens, OSHA's called out, mm-hmm. right? There's suits, lawsuits that come out mm-hmm. into play and this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They're going to want to know, what did you do to vet that electrical contractor to make sure that they knew everything they were doing? They were doing it safe, right? You don't have to do it, but you need to get the information from them right. on the steps they're going to take to ensure you that they, they've got everything. Right. And they certainly don't want to be an obstacle to the company doing it correctly. You no. Know? and I mean, it, it, Maybe it, not intentionally. Yeah. So over and the years, we've gotten, we've even had a, a customer that's called us and said, we don't think you guys are doing it the right way safely. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. And as a oh, matter of fact, they were, they were right. Interesting. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I love that, man. So what we've done is we've said, listen, we got, so we got right now like 1,100 electricians out there. Do I want to make sure 1,100 electricians know, are able to go in and do things energized? Not really. It's monumental. It's too big. Yeah. Let's have a group of guys that are well-trained that we could pull from one job and take them to the next one if we have to, right? Because we're doing so few mm-hmm. uh, and far between mm-hmm. these this energized work. Now, if you have to test equipment, it has to be energized. Mm-hmm. If you're testing sure. for voltage, you get sure. over voltage, right? Yeah. So there's the, those sort of things. And that, that's a different lo- level of exposure. It is, So you, you but you have a plan, mm-hmm. and that plan – is getting more sophisticated as we go. And there and I'll these bet. plans are including um what if something happens and you have to back out? How do you safely back out of this thing? Right? Mm-hmm. Because um I don't know if you're familiar with electrical equipment, but if it is not maintained properly, uh, it could be a, a time bomb. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Know? So if you get so far into this thing you realize, hey, this is a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. 
Time to back out. Well, I've, I've been on a lot of old grain facilities mm-hmm. where the electrical is just a time bomb waiting. and It hasn't been activated or utilized for years and years and years, and it's still energized. And those things scare me to death, man. Mm-hmm. You know, please don't flip that breaker that hasn't been flipped in 20 years or, or whatever, you know. Yeah. I am. I know enough to be afraid of electricity. Yeah. Me too. I use candles at my house. I don't, you know, we don't even have electricity. <laughs> That's safe. Exactly. <laughs> Those open flames are much safer. Yeah, exactly. Well, keep going, man. That's really interesting. So you were training your customers. So you have gained some ground on that, it sounds like. Your yeah. customers appreciate. Oh, that's been the, it was a, a great way. And it, that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't, like, just said, mm-hmm. are we going to do this and not, right. not uh, are we going to teach everybody to, that we aren't going to be working on it, energized, and then just have to turn around and do it for the sake of keeping the customer or whatever. So it worked out great. So you, you have certainly restricted or limited the number of things that have to be done live. And, right. And that was step number one. Well, let's, or, or, or at least we sit down and, narrow and the first down. question is, is do we have to work on this energized? Mm-hmm. Sometimes the answer is, yeah, I think we do. Mm-hmm. Well, have we really looked into mm-hmm. it? Is there a way that we can maybe wait until holiday night and when, when no one's in the building and we could shut this down safely and work on it. Cause here's the problem. Think about this. You're an electrician, right? You are gowned up with the PPE. You're working on a 480 volt bus or right near it, right? Mm-hmm. One false move with a piece of equipment or yourself, mm-hmm. you'd be electrocuted, start an arc flash and I don't think you want to be a part of an arc flash, even if you're wearing the oh, no. personal protective equipment, uh-huh. right? So what are you going to do? You're going to be nervous. You're going to work really, really slow, right? Um, if that thing's de-energized, you don't have nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. Boom, you get in and out of that thing right. quick, right? Mm-hmm. And probably right, right? The other thing is, and, and customers need to know this, if something happens, you uh, something's dropped in there, a metal shaving flies in, whatever. A uh, screw, uh, whatever. Someone's left uh, equipment up there before you open up the thing, something falls in, mm-hmm. right? Um, your power's going out. Regardless if anybody gets hurt, <laughs> right. you lose the power anyway. So that, you might as well just, just think about it ahead of time and safely shut it down. Yeah where you can get your computer safely shut off or right. on backup power or move it to a different circuit or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, what, that's, that's, that's an interesting consideration. Those are some of the things you sit down yeah. and you have conversations with each and every time right. you plan on working something energized. Well, let's, so that addresses the issue of your guys working on energized parts. What about the piece? Um, you guys do the arc flash analysis. You do the shock analysis. You provide those? You have we do. A, so we have a, a, a department that's in our, a subset of our service department. Um, we have a TEG franchise, which can go do anything from going to your uh, building, and, mm-hmm. and it's old equipment, and we assess it, and we'll bring it up to, to date as far as the maintenance and everything, and then put a guarantee on it. Mm-hmm. You know, Out of that, we can also do, for your company, we can do... Um, short circuit studies mm-hmm. and arc flash analysis, make sure all the labeling's correct, uh, or any other part of that. Mm-hmm. So if all you wanted to do is say, hey, listen, I'd like to put some stickers on my equipment that tell you, you know, what the safe boundaries are, what type of PPE I need to have, you know. Yeah, that was kind of one of the primary drivers was identify the, we, we used to call it hazard risk categories. I don't right. think they actually refer to them in that fashion. But basically they're telling you, Right. What PPE is necessary to work on that equipment? True, and uh, we can do that. So mm-hmm. we can we can go in there. We'll do a, a basically a survey of all your equipment. Uh, we do we do the calculations, uh, and that's all given to you in a nice little printout mm-hmm. uh, electronically. So, and it's important to know mm-hmm. that if you change something, if you hire an electrical company to come in and change something, you have to redo that sticker. Because mm-hmm. it's probably going to affect it. Going to change. Yeah, yeah, you don't want the wrong sticker up no, there. No, right, absolutely. And right. then training, I would assume that you guys then. Training is, so So if, if someone hires us for that through the tag department, training's included in that for okay. the staff. That's part the, of the deal? Yeah. Oh, good. And it's okay. a complete uh, cert- cert- certified training for mm-hmm. Art Flash. Mm-hmm. 
And we do that with a, uh, a partner of ours. His name is Bob Weber. Do you know Bob? I know Bob, sure. Yep. And we've used him for a long time. Mm-hmm. So he knows where we're coming from. He mm-hmm. does plugs for Miller Electric all the time. Nice. It's great, you know. Yeah, that is nice. Um, and he will help us on our assessment of uh, our electrical safety program. Well, so what, like what, what do people um, need to know about this assessment that they don't? I mean, there was a period of time, and probably to this day, where people are just kind of afraid of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's big. As we discussed, there's a lot that goes into the assessment and the calculations, and it's not something that you just do in an afternoon necessarily. Uh, so a lot of people have just kind of ignored it, hoping it was going to go away, and obviously it's not going away, and it's very important. So what, what just you know, just in general, to the guy out there that's struggling with this, what, what do you tell him? Well, it's important to know that NFPA 70 still allows you to do the assessment case-by-case basis, right? So you, before you go in, if you're not going to de-energize it and go in there and work, you have to work on it and energize, you can do that assessment at based, that time. Yeah, based off of their, their tables and stuff like that, they still allow you to do oh. that. They're, they do not, it does not say you have to mark on the equipment. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it's. I think it's coming there. I think it's going to uh-huh. be there, you know. You're right. They've taken out the risk categories. Mm-hmm. So you have to determine exactly what the PPE, what the uh, uh, the calorie ratings are uh, per you know, square inch right. as to what type of a, a PPE you're nice. going to wear. But having said that, that requires that you're utilizing an electrical contractor that understands that. Right. You so, know? so if you want to get down to the bare base, because mom and pops are not going to be able to necessarily afford to have someone come in and right. maybe do all of that, you know. Right. But so a mom they don't and, necessarily need to preemptively do the entire facility. This allows them to do this. Our salesman for takes gonna be mad at me for telling <laughs> but, me this, but well, but, but that's yeah. hopefully that's rare. Hopefully, this the mom and pop is the mom and pop. Yeah. But these bigger companies, the bigger industrial facilities, need to do this. I think do they, they not? I, I honestly think that if you're going to put a true uh, electrical safety program in place for your company, mm-hmm. a part of that should include um, short circuit analysis, mm-hmm. updated one line drawings at the very least. In an arc flash study. Right, right. Stickers and a whole worse. And then something in place that says if we hire someone to come in and we know it could possibly change any of this, that you have to redo that, right? Yeah. Any any one part of it. OPBD changes something, you've got to go through and, and redo the whole system, mm-hmm. right? Um, let's, let's uh, yeah. What would you say? I, I, would I don't say, know if there's I would a conclusion say, to this because I would say it, this it, is a. It, it, so you have to have this sit down. I, mm-hmm. If I were a, a company owner, mm-hmm. and I know that there's an electrical contractor that's coming into our building to perform work, number one, I would maybe be proactive and say, "Can you do it? De-energize and mm-hmm. keep us up and running, or right. or do we? What do we have to do? I'm willing to work with you." Right. Number and maybe that should be number two. Number one, is this company prepared to come in and work safely right. with your equipment? Do they know what lockout tagout is? That's right? such a big deal. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're not prepared to do that, you know, you might want to think twice about mm-hmm. who you're hiring for an electrical This is firm. one of my biggest fears, man. I, I work with a lot of companies out in rural Nebraska, and they are utilizing their local electrician uh, who probably has very little understanding of these things or just really doesn't do much about it, even if he does understand it. He or she, I don't mean to be, you know. And mm-hmm. um, I'm terrified by that thought that you know it's one thing as a company well we're not going to do that because it's too expensive and i don't understand it we're not going to do that now i bring in it we're going to just we're going to call an electrical contractor that's what i hear all the time we don't do that we just call electrical contractor well do they know what they're doing um doesn't sound like it you know shecky's uh bail bond and electrical service or whatever it is i mean that that scares the crap out. we used to do work for data centers that said you cannot shut that off and we're like, you got triple redundancy here. We could easily bypass this thing and work on. Uh, we don't trust it. Mm-hmm. You know, they just would say we don't trust it. You know, and and uh, we're like, okay. Uh, OSHA got involved with that. It was happening all over the country, and they said, no, you can no longer use that as an excuse mm-hmm. uh, to be able to work on things energized. Right to today, where um, most of the data centers we work for, it's their policy. You will work on it, the energized period. Yeah, period. Mm-hmm. You know. Wow. Just come, they'll come a long way. 
We, we have come a long way, and yeah. uh, and I'm very pleased. I, I have a lot of clients that are on top of this. They've done a good job with it. They probably have you utilized you guys or one of the you know one of the local uh, capable contractors, and uh, that really pleases me. It's still I don't understand it. I'm not an electrician, certainly, and there are elements of it that I don't understand. I I still look at it kind of from a compliance standpoint, like OSHA would. You know, the 70E is the reference. You know, it is the hallmark document on how this should be done. Mm-hmm. And then we refer to the OSHA standards from a citation standpoint. If you haven't done the training or you haven't done the analysis or you haven't prescribed the proper PPE, OSHA cites you under the, mm-hmm. you know, 331 through 335 standards or whatever in, you know, 1910. It's important to know that the analysis has to be done. It could, but at it, some could be, point, it could be done right there at the, before you start working. Right, on at it. some point, yeah. before the work is performed, whether yeah. that's... yeah. Whether you put a sticker on it or not, you, okay. you have to have some sort of anything else before we wrap up. I know we're, we, you know, we haven't even scratched the surface of what we talked right. about, you know, discussing. But anything that you want to conclude with about safety in general or seventy E or anything like that? Um, yeah, I would probably say that uh, if this is information going out to other people mm-hmm. that are struggling, trying to get things off the ground and going, yeah, um, I was there. Once, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, great company to work for. They they said, "Here, here's what you whatever you need." Type thing. You never had a budget since I've been working there. It's incredible. Um, if you don't have that from your employer, uh, see if you can get it because it's that important. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not I'm not crazy. I, you and I have talked about walking um, uh, safety people with their resumes in hand, or they're just talking resume all day long. Mm-hmm. That doesn't get you anywhere unless you can be practical with the with right. what works for your company. Right. You know, there has to be an element of that. Yeah, I understand. But the the idea that we just approach safety as we need uh, changes or elements or implementation rather than just just the idea of budgeting safety has always perplexed me. You know, we've got twenty thousand dollars this year for safety. So let's get all twenty thousand dollars worth of safety this year. Well, what if, what if we need more? What if we need something different? What if? I mean, I know that's the reality oftentimes, but you know, yeah, <laughs> it's still kind of I struggle with it a little bit. But I, I really appreciate you well, having me on here. Well, I we got more to cover, cool. so I hopefully we can do it again. Yeah. If if I wasn't so just afraid of the total anarchy that would probably result, I'd love to have you and Ruben both in sometime. <laughs> That'd be fun. We've sat across the table from each other many times so let's plan on doing it again when you have time again thank thank you scott for being here uh i sincerely appreciate it the information is fantastic uh and we'll you know continue to uh put it out as we can and hopefully it's valuable to the folks listening thank you Doug. Uh, keep up the good thank work you, everybody uh you know as we talked about in the beginning this is serious work uh it can be certainly be enjoyable and rewarding and um help pay the bills but it's serious work. So if you need some help, reach out to somebody. I'm going to post Scott's email address, contact information on the website. If you want to talk more to him about NFPA 70E or a sit down or some type of uh, analysis or something, uh, reach out to him. Put our website on there and they can go in there and uh, learn Absolutely. more about that. As okay, well. perfect. Yeah. We'll put it up on the web on FletcherSafety.com. So thank you, Scott. Thanks, Pat. Uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Thank you. A Parkville Media Production.